Most people in the Salesforce ecosystem identify Talent Stacker as a platform for entry-level Salesforce professionals. But what a lot of people don't know is that we actually also serve established Salesforce professionals. If you want to check out our free resources for leveling up your Salesforce career, make sure to head over to talentstacker.com forward slash CAP. That's talentstacker.com forward slash CAP. And you can get a free Salesforce Career Accelerator Toolkit, helping you with everything from planning your career goals, designing a strategy to implement those goals into reality, helping you with salary negotiation for landing a new job or with your current employer, as well as much more. So be sure to check out that Career Accelerator Toolkit. That's how we all ended up in tens of thousands or more in student loan debt. Like, don't fall into that trap again. Hi, I'm Anita Smith. I'm Bradley Rice. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the Salesforce, Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In today's show, Brad reminisces on his early days as a consultant. And I just thought, I've never used Pardot. I am not a senior anything. And now I just got to make it through this meeting without throwing up. Also, Anita shows us how to stall in style. You just need to learn the verbiage. Like, let's parking lot that. Let me do a bit more research and get back to you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In today's episode, we are kicking off a new series where we're going to be covering the types of roles that are available in the Salesforce ecosystem. And over the course of this series, so this episode, we're going to talk about all the different roles and sort of cover that high level. Over the next four episodes, we're going to dive deeper into four of the roles and really what you can expect out of those and have some amazing guests on to talk to us about exactly what it's like in a day and a life in those roles and how you can break into them more easily. And then even after that, we're going to do a Q&A episode answering all of your questions about this series. So as we go, be sure to make sure to leave a voicemail or ask questions and your feedback and reviews on the podcast platform you listen on. And we are going to make this a complete comprehensive guide to the types of Salesforce roles and make sure we get your questions answered. So as always with me to dive in on these topics, I have Anita Smith. How's it going, Anita? Hey, it's going really well. Been in a bit of a gardening mode lately. All my plants have been growing like crazy. I'm really excited. I have a couple of vegetables growing and fruit trees are starting to produce fruit. How's it going with you? It's going good. That's really cool. So you're getting to like explore your new home and like literally getting your hands dirty. So that's awesome. Yeah, we're in a similar phase. So last year, the gardens did okay. And this year, to your point, they're doing, I think, considerably better given that the summer doesn't seem to be kicking off quite as hot as what we dealt with last summer. So hopefully we'll have a little bit better luck. So yeah, I mean, things are good enjoying having Evelyn out of school for a little while so we can enjoy some family time around the house. All right. So I guess we can go ahead and jump into the topic for today's episode, and that's covering some of these Salesforce roles. So I guess, where do you want to get us kicked off, Anita? Uh, let's start with the bread and butter Salesforce administrator. So this is the very basic entry-level role that I thought I was going for. Um, pretty much anyone who hears the Salesforce, they go for this role. Later on, I found out there are other types of roles, but a Salesforce administrator is really someone who handles the back end of Salesforce. There isn't any coding, a lot of declarative configuration, which is drag and drop, point and click. And you basically 
listen to your customer, your boss, or whatever, make the changes that are needed in the actual Salesforce org. But also, depending on the size of the company, uh, if you work for a consultancy, all that, this role can vary. You could be heavily just answering support tickets, or you could be doing a lot of the config work. It really depends on the company you work at. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think to drive home one of your points, every role that we talk about, it's going to vary by company. It just does. And we'll talk about other things in this episode that also vary by company, like what they call the roles at the company. So that can be really confusing. Like they might call a Salesforce administrator five different things. And that can be really confusing for entry level people just trying to find a job looking on LinkedIn jobs or Indeed or something like that. And it's so hard to dial those in. But we'll talk more about that. But to Anita's point, you know, even if you're a Salesforce administrator for one company, you could go be a Salesforce administrator for another company and it feel completely different. So just keep that in mind. All of these, you know, roles kind of vary depending on the needs of the company. And I think another thing that you were talking about there is how you got into your first Salesforce role and it felt like everybody was going for Salesforce administrator. And we see that too today. Like even, you know, I know you've been in your role for what, two years, two plus years, right in there somewhere now. And it's still today, most people think, well, Salesforce administrator is the role that everybody gets when they start a Salesforce job. And it's just not reality. And so we can talk a little bit about the realities of like, what are those typical entry-level jobs that most people are jumping into? So when I was first job searching for my very first role, I was only searching for Salesforce admin roles not realizing Salesforce business analyst role even existed. And that is the actual job I landed as my first role. I didn't apply for it, obviously, because I didn't know the job existed. (laughs) And at the time, I recall before my interview, I had to go on Trailhead and complete a trail or a couple of modules on what a Salesforce business analyst was and like how it was different than an admin. Turns out I'm a much better fit for a BA versus a Salesforce admin. It's very people-focused, so I was able to leverage my soft skills, a lot of interaction with the customers and end users, and not as much config. I still did a little bit of configuration. And then again, what we said earlier, the roles are different at each company. So if you're a Salesforce business analyst, that doesn't mean you don't do any config work or you do, it really depends. You could be a hybrid version. You could just be gathering information and pass to your devs or your Salesforce admin. It really varies from company to company. This sort of brings me back to thinking about what you were saying about how you wanted to be an admin, but you wanted to be an admin because that's what you knew about, right? Like that's what seemed to be available. That seemed like the entry level, I don't want to be a coder job, so I'll just be a Salesforce administrator. Having no clue... And that's like the whole purpose of the series, right? Is to educate people about the options that are available. And I think people come into this and the first way that they look for what kind of job they want is they go, show me salaries based on Salesforce positions. And it's like, which ones get paid the most? And they stumble across a couple of clickbait job articles, in my opinion. And it's developers get paid this much and analysts get paid this much and Solution architects get paid this much and consultants get paid this much. And you just end up not caring what the actual role is or what it entails. And you focus on how much it pays. And like, that's what we were doing in high school. Like, that's how we all ended up in, you know, tens of thousands or more in student loan debt because we were picking college degrees based on pay scales and not based on interest. Like, 
if you're one of those people, like don't fall into that trap again, right? Like that's what you were doing in high school and college, picking degrees based on how much they pay. Don't be an adult now and pick your career based on how much it pays. So how do you decide, right? Well, first you have to be educated a little bit on what these different roles entail. And then I would say follow your interests. And the really cool thing about the Salesforce space is I think you get this opportunity to pick a really high-level generic route. I'm going to give a quick overview of like analyst versus admin versus developer, which I think are really the three core competencies as a Salesforce beginner. And I think you could argue, what about like junior or associate consultant, like those entry-level consultants? But at the end of the day, as a consultant, you're typically a business analyst consultant, a Salesforce administrator consultant, a development consultant. So it's still kind of the same topic areas, but instead of working for one company internally, you're consulting for multiple companies working at a consulting firm. And I know that the experienced professionals out there are probably going to kill me for this overview, but this is how we're going to keep it high level. So the business analyst is really, if you're the type of person who enjoys interfacing with individuals and you're going to be talking to clients, you're going to be talking to the internal team, you're probably going to be tasked with keeping the project on track, especially if you're with a smaller mid-sized business. If you're with an enterprise business, you might have a dedicated project manager or on larger projects. But for your typical project, a lot of times business analysts end up being ad hoc project managers at the same time. So you're going to find yourself interfacing with the developers and the admins. And if you have an offshore team, you might be talking to the offshore team. If management is interested in how a project is going, you might have to talk to them and then talk to the clients. So there's so many people you talk to as a business analyst, but you're also a Salesforce expert. Like You have to know what functionality exists and how it works and understand the needs of the business and how this is going to flow. And then you sort of take that next step and you go to the administrator. And the administrator still interfaces quite a bit with people like the business analyst and project managers and the clients. They're on the client calls quite a bit, but they're doing the declarative work like Anito was talking about earlier. Yes, you're building automations and reports and dashboards and really cool configurations, but you're not coding. Like every now and then you, are, you might write a formula field or a validation rule or something like that, but we're not talking about true coding like you would call a programmer. So you're doing a lot of cool work, you're building stuff out, but it's all declarative, point and click. And then the next step is the developer. And that's when it gets so custom that Salesforce standard functionality, so all the stuff the admin can do, is no longer enough to solve the problem. And now you need truly custom code that goes above and beyond the standard functionality of Salesforce to get this done. And those individuals are rarely on customer calls. That would be the person who talks to other people, typically the least. Now, there are teams that are going to work together more actively than others. But if you're one of those people who's like, I don't want to talk to anybody for the rest of my career, the Salesforce developer role is going to be as close as you're going to get to that situation. So that's a high level of sort of how all those roles work together. And I think the whole point of my rant right there is that don't look at the paychecks. Don't look at the pay scales. Those are drastically different types of roles that are going to make your career look drastically different in your day-to-day -day life. And we're going to talk about that over the next four episodes. So when you're picking a career, figure out which one of those interests you. Like, do you want to be a programmer? Do you want to develop? Maybe in the future, but not today. Then you probably want to be an administrator and get used to the declarative functionality first. Are you kind of scared to death of doing any kind of automations or build outs or any kind of functionality ads? but you enjoy talking to people, business analyst is probably going to be your thing. So think about it high level and you can 
always change your mind later. But the first thing is to just sort of get into that first role and start feeling your way around a little bit. I guess I'd love to get your take on that, Anita. Yeah. I mean, if you're unsure, you can just pick one, try it out. If it doesn't work out, then try out the other roles. They're all kind of intermingled and consultants kind of do a mix of everything of BA and admin work. It just baffles me that you can go in as a consultant when it's your first job. When I hear the word consultant, I expect someone with so many years of experience, but there are job titles called associate consultants, which is kind of like a junior level consultant. And there's a lot of consultancies out there that have their own like bootcamp style development programs that have helped their associate consultants grow into a regular or senior level consultant role. But yeah, I think you did a really good description of all of them. Not too familiar with Salesforce developers, except yeah, you're right. I do work with developers and they talk the least period and to customers. Yeah, that's, I mean, I know different people have different experiences, but from my experience, that's sort of the way it goes. And to your point on the consulting thing, like when I was a junior administrator, my first job, we had consultants who worked with our team and I just thought they had to be like cream of the crop, top 1% Salesforce talent, just knew it all, right? They would drive in and they all drove, you know, nicer cars because they had six-figure incomes and they probably had for the last 10 years. And they would come travel on site and we paid them like $100, $200 an hour. And as a like 22-year-old, I was like, holy smokes, they're like legit, legit. And then my next job, like six months later, was a consulting role. And I went into this office in Atlanta and sat down with, it was literally a room full of consultants. And at first I was a little like imposter syndrome, like a, a lot imposter syndrome. And I was scared to death because they were all so smart and, and I just knew nothing is what I thought. And so I started going out to lunch with them. And just like anybody else, they were just doing some projects and they were prepping for their next Salesforce certification. And they were asking each other some questions in the car about the next certification they were getting. And I was just getting insight into what they really knew. And I started going like, holy smokes, like they're literally still asking each other about the differences between roles and profiles and permission sets. And they don't have it down yet. Like, how is this possible? And so I, I think like if you're putting people on a pedestal, and this is all to say, especially entry-level people, like a, a lot of our listeners, um, don't. Like, don't just know that they're people just like you. And odds are, if you follow guidance, like this podcast didn't exist, you know, when we were starting our careers, guidance, like the talent stacker program, or just the YouTube channels and blogs and everything that is available now was not available when I was starting my career. And you're not going to be as slow to ramp up, like getting a year of experience in 2023 is like getting two years of experience in 2015 because there's so much more information available and so much more clarity on all of these topics that you can ramp up so much faster. So just don't be an imposter. Know that you're going to learn this stuff really quickly and you're going to be good to go. Yeah. To be a good consultant, <laughs> to be a good consultant, I think you just need to learn the verbiage. Like, let's parking lot that. Let me do a bit more research and get back to you. I don't know. All, all the random vague terms that I hear consultants say, I was just like, oh, I just got to learn how to divert the conversation. Then I can go research what I need to, what I need to do later. That's it. Like diversion is such a massive part of consulting and literally just like I, I exactly what you're saying, like just make the client feel unique. Like, wow, that's a really interesting requirement. Let us take a look after this meeting on how we might solve that. And it's like, 
it's the requirement that every client needs. It's not unique at all. But if you can make them feel good about how unique their business is and buy yourself a day, then you're in good shape. I was going to say too, that that same consulting company I started with, they put me on a project. We went to the client and I thought I was going to be like the backup, just kind of listening and taking notes. And we sit down with the client at this conference room and they said, uh, hey, this is Bradley Rice. He is our senior marketing automation specialist for the Pardot platform. And then I found <laughs> How is out, your poker face? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I have no clue, but I was like 23. Like it can't have been great. And I just thought I've never used Pardot. I am not a senior anything. And now I just got to make it through this meeting without throwing up. Like we're going to be good to go. And now I realize for the rest of my career, every time we walk into a meeting and somebody gets introduced to senior, whatever, whatever, don't listen to that. Like you never know. And chances are they're just like the guy that got hired last week and they're trying to get through another project. All right. So enough about the internal <laughs> chaos that consulting is. I think maybe we can move into, you know, we talked a little bit about how you're kind of selecting your first job. So I guess we talked about aligning your interests with the types of jobs you're looking for. But I guess what would you advise people when they're trying to get into that first role? Like what should they be paying the most attention to, I guess? Well, I would like to say the responsibilities and the description, but <laughs> as we have seen, a lot of that is copy and pasted. I think apply, like if you match about 80% of what they're looking for, and when you're actually in the interview, really dig in deep on what that role entails. That'll give you a better idea. But also, this is your first role in a brand new career, most likely. So don't be picky. You need your foot in the door. Try to align it with your overall goals. But admin, analysts, consultants, you end up wearing the same hat in different companies. So don't focus on the title as much because you will take bits and pieces of each of those roles and use them elsewhere. I couldn't agree more. And it's just that concept of you're breaking into a new career path. The most important thing about this first job is the experience that you're getting. And we have alumni that I don't know, like when I look at them a year later, I don't know that they heard that, like truly heard that. And I think it goes for anyone. If it goes for our alumni, then it goes for anyone. And it's when they're reaching out a year later and they're going like, hey, I think I'm ready for that next role. And it's like, well, okay, well, what kind of experience do you have? And they're like, ah, I don't know if I really got the exposure, this and that. And it's like, okay, but remember, remember, this first job was all about experience. Like, I don't care what your paycheck was. I don't care what your title was. This first year was all about getting the most possible experience that you could get, figuring out what did you love? What did you hate? What do you never want to touch again? And what do you want to spend all day doing? And let's align your next role with your interests. Like That's what we're trying to get closer to. And every time you move to a new employer or every time you take a promotion, we should be getting one step closer to aligning your career values and your career interests with your career, like with the new job that you're taking. That's what we should be striving to do. And I think way too often people are focused on, again, reiterating like, way too focused on paychecks and titles and corner offices and the name of the company that they work for than the actual experience and how much that aligns with their interests and values. And I'll, I'll pick on one of our members. I, I, I won't say their name, but you can pretty well figure out who they are, but he wouldn't mind me sharing, but he got a job at Snapchat, first job right out of Talent Stacker. And he got a job at Snapchat, like too cool, right? And when he posted, everybody was so hyped. 
I mean, you got a job at Snapchat. That's like saying you got a job at Google or Meta or, you know, one of these big name companies. And it was really cool. And it was really cool. And at the time he said, I can't believe my first job really is my dream job. Like this is too cool. And we heard from him recently and he moved away from Snapchat and he's in a new role at a much less sexy named company with not a cool, like it's not Snapchat working in LA or wherever else. And like the vibe of the the big tech company. And he messaged me and he said, I can't believe I thought Snapchat was my dream job because this job is so much more incredible, more aligned with my values than Snapchat was. And I can only imagine what I don't know now. And I think that's what happens in that first year is you figure out that you can never expect for that first job to be your dream job because you don't even know what your dream job looks like. And the only way you're going to figure out what you don't know and what you are looking for is to get experience. And I've always told people like, if that experience comes at $10 an hour and that pays the bills and you can get by, then whatever. I don't really care what the paycheck is as long as you're getting high quality experience that you can use in the future. That's what matters the most from my perspective. Yeah. I mean, we get I get so many questions from freshers, new people in the ecosystem about finding experience, finding a volunteer project. And then like the same people will come back when they, they land a job and like, oh, it's not that high. <laughs> I'm just like, you were looking for free work just like a couple of months ago. What changed, you know? Yeah, it might be not your your dream number right now, but it's a step in the right direction. I mean, everything moves so quickly in the Salesforce ecosystem. You don't have to work 10 years to get a, a pay job. You just need a good year or so. And then one year a Salesforce experience is like dog years. You know, that's like three years of experience. Yeah. I completely agree. All right. So I feel like we've gone on a push of like some of the things you should be looking for when it comes to Salesforce roles. And I think we've spent a lot of time, and maybe this just comes from our experience from inside of the talent stacker sort of zone of awareness, telling people a lot of like what not to do. And I think it's a lot of those those things we've seen over and over again. And we're going to see it as soon as we hop off of this recording, we're going to see more people struggling with all those same things. And I think something we've noticed repeatedly is people getting hung up on the requirements in the job description, which you talked a little bit about. And the other thing is the number of people who have applied for this job, right? And these are two things totally outside of your control. Like who cares? It's outside of your control. So what what advice would you have to people who are, you know, looking at something like, I'm applying for a job, it just came out yesterday and it already has 50 applicants. How am I going to get that job? What would you say to someone in that position? Yeah. So that number isn't accurate. It shows the amount of people that clicked the apply button, but not the number of people that actually submitted applications. So don't let that deter you. I mean, what's the worst that can happen if you apply to a job that has already a bunch of applicants? You just don't hear back. You know, it's a no, whatever. What's the best outcome? You get an interview. There's no like risk. Yeah. Maybe it takes some time to actually like, apply and then you got to fill out the form and fill all the same information that's in your resume again. Yeah. So, okay. That takes what, 15 minutes, 15 minutes of your time for a possible job interview. Just ignore that number and apply if you think it's a good fit. And if you want to get that extra step ahead of all those other people who aren't going to be doing this, look for the hiring manager or the recruiter on LinkedIn and reach out to them and let them know that you applied. 
because that extra step that just like eliminates so many other people that gets you on top of the stack. Yeah. And I was going to reference if what Anita was just saying interests you and like the last topic we just talked on about differentiating yourself in that application process, then I would highly recommend on this podcast, go back to episode four. And it's all about LinkedIn and how you can, yes, apply for a job, but then also totally separate yourself from those other 50, 100, I don't care, 500 applicants. And just keep in mind that, you know, to Anita's point, these platforms, think about the way these platforms are built. Like LinkedIn charges companies to post jobs on LinkedIn jobs. And so if you're an employer looking at how well LinkedIn jobs is performing, it's in their best interest to show that a lot of people are applying for the jobs on LinkedIn jobs, right? Because that looks really good. So now if I'm an employer and I want to post a job because I want to get 100 applicants, then if I'm looking at that, then I'm like, cool, I never get 100 applicants when I post a job on my website. If I do it on LinkedIn jobs, I'll get 100 applicants. And it's in their best interest to, to flex that a little bit, right? Like inflate that number a little bit. And yeah, from what we can see, that's the number of people who like view or click on that job, even if they don't apply, it still counts them as an applicant, which is total garbage, but it's the reality of it. And so what you can do is do what you can control and you can apply for the job and you can do like Anita said. And I would say that episode, episode four, like we deep dive into what we call job search strategy and how you can apply for the job and then really separate yourself from the competition. And then I would say also... A lot of what we've talked about is outlined in episode seven, which is basically understanding how you might go on LinkedIn jobs and be like, hey, I don't see a lot of these jobs. Everything wants two to three years of experience. Everything wants three certifications. None of this makes sense to me. That's where you're going to find out that you need to ignore the job descriptions, which I know sounds crazy, but you need to ignore the job descriptions and you need to ignore the number of people who have applied for any given job and just do what you can control and that's apply for it and separate yourself. So I think those are the big things that I would be, I think, guiding people in that direction. And then the other big thing is the way they name these roles. And we alluded to this earlier, but Anita, would you mind spending some time on like, how does this work? Like we just said it was admins, business analysts, and developers. Like suddenly, is it not admins, analysts, and developers? Yeah. Different companies, man. They just have different random names for all the jobs. So some things you might want to be searching for that are similar is a Salesforce support specialist, Salesforce data analyst, Salesforce implementation consultant, Salesforce technical support, or maybe just search Salesforce, see what pops up and see what looks like an entry level job. Because again, these titles are different in every single company, even if the title is the same in different companies. <laughs> there might be like different responsibilities. So it's important to not just have your search as Salesforce admin or junior Salesforce admin. Make sure to play that that keyword game and include anything. Are there any other keywords I'm missing that you can think of, Bradley? I don't think so. I know some people get really into it. I'm with you. Like if I if I've gone and I've looked at like I know I want to be an administrator or an analyst, then I'll go search Salesforce administrator, Salesforce admin, Salesforce business analyst, Salesforce analyst. And then I think once I've gotten past those jobs that show up in that list, then I would take that step back and just type in Salesforce and just sort of peruse and see what looks good. But again, coming back to that, like, don't worry about the years of experience. If it says they need like seven years of experience, okay, fine. If it's labeled a senior Salesforce business analyst with seven plus years of experience, do not waste your time with that. But if it says 
Salesforce business analyst, two to three years of experience, and then read that job description. And I would say, I think historically we've said, you know, if you seem like a fit for maybe 70% of the job description, then that's a good one to apply for. And I would say, you know, since recording those first episodes and, you know, we did an episode talking about what advice would we change? I think that's one piece of advice I would change. It would be maybe knock that down to like 50%. Like if you look at 50% of the requirements and you're like, I got that, then you should probably be applying because chances are with a month of effort, you'll go from 50% to 80%. And then the other 20%, they probably didn't need anyway. They just didn't know what to put because the the truth of the matter is like in these Salesforce roles, the fact that they have job descriptions is almost confusing at this point. Like you're never going to be in a role and be like, that wasn't in my job description. Like nobody cares because what you have to do as a Salesforce professional is serve your end users and the company. Like these people are at work and they're trying to get work done. And Salesforce is the tool they use to do their jobs, whether that's sales or support or marketing or finance or managers running reports to try to make business decisions. And those are the people you got to be there for. And what it said in the job description may not include what they need you for today. They might need you to run you know, a brand new app that they've never used before so that they can, instead of hand dialing phone numbers, they can dial a thousand phone numbers a day. And that may not be in the job description, but they need you to go learn it and figure it out and do it. And that's what being a Salesforce professional is all about. So all of that to say, that job description is likely not going to include 30% of what they actually need you to do in the first 12 months of that job. So, you know, just more and more reason to just get past it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, this has happened maybe one job ever where like my manager asked me to look over the actual posting to see and confirm if that is what I did. But I mean, most of the time, like you're on your way out or whatnot, or if you got fired, no one is confirming and going back to you, hey, is this what you do? Do you do any more? Should I be adjusting this job posting? No, it's usually something in HR that they have on file and they just keep using it and using it, even though the role might have evolved since then. One other thing I wanted to talk about, I think it was in season one, I did suggest applying to all the jobs. I want to take part of that back. Have some sort of strategy, not saying to not apply to a lot of jobs, but have some sort of strategy, like maybe focus on companies in the same industry as your past job, but that use Salesforce or something where it's one of your like key skills. So I wanted to share this website. It's admin.salesforce.com slash skills kit. S-K-I-L-L-S-K-I-T. Go to that site. It shows you all the skills and admin needs. So really focus on what your strongest skills are and try to find roles that align to that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And I, I think going back to, we've talked about this in the last couple of episodes, that that talentstacker.com forward slash community. I think if you use the resource Anita just mentioned along with that, the talentstacker.com forward slash community is going to help you identify your own skills and those transferable skills that you're taking with you from previous experience. And then if you can take that over to the skills kit that Salesforce has 
and sort of figuring out, okay, Talent Stacker told me I had these transferable skills. And then here are the skills that I'm supposed to have as an administrator. And I think what you're going to find out is you've got a lot more skills than you think you have, even if you've never been a tech professional before. Because guess what? Most people have not been tech professionals before. And those are the people landing these tech jobs. So if you've enjoyed what you've been hearing and you want to get started in a Salesforce career, head over to talentstacker.com forward slash start to sign up for the free five-day challenge. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on and go leave us a review if you don't mind. We do prefer five-star reviews. So if you have one of those available, go ahead and give it to us. And we hope you're getting value from these episodes and we're going to try to continue to bring more value to you. And if you have questions and you would like to have your question presented on one of our Q&A episodes, be sure to head over to talentstacker.com forward slash voicemail and we'll get your question answered here on the show. And in the next four episodes, we are going to be covering deep dives into a day in the life of different Salesforce roles. In our next episode, that's going to be the Salesforce administrator role. And we will be bringing on a guest expert to talk about being a Salesforce administrator. And we hope to see you there. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. To get started for free on your own Salesforce career, go to talentstacker.com forward slash start or check the show notes. There you'll find all the resources you need to start earning 60 to 80,000 in as little as eight months, no matter your education or career background. The Salesforce for Everyone podcast was produced by Edmund T and engineered by Andrew Mendonca. If you like what we do at this scrappy can-do podcast, please help others find us by leaving a five-star rating and a great review on whichever platform you're listening to us right now. See you next time.